Welcome to Meet the Masters. I'm Tim Watson. Today, I'm joined by Master Kelly Goodwin. How are you, ma'am? Just fine. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. I, uh, I've seen on Facebook, you have been a, a jet setter and you've been around the world lately. Uh, could you maybe start and tell us some of the things that, that you've been doing uh, in the Tungsudo world? Well, I just got back from the European Masters camp in Nottingham, England, and it was fantastic. Um, uh, Grandmaster Khan does such a great job there, and everyone was so wonderful and was inspiring, and their technique was amazing. Um, I came back just really jazzed and buoyed up and filled up with Tungsudo spirit. It was fantastic. That's awesome. Is that your first time visiting that clinic or have you been there before? I've been to uh, visit England before. That was my third time there training with them. My first time at the European Masters uh, Clinic. Um, I have, was there, I think in 2015 for work and I stopped by and I was there in maybe 2002-ish. Um, for six weeks, I trained, I was doing a sabbatical over there for work and I trained in Coventry. And so um, I've trained trained with the group a few times, but first time I was there for, for the clinic and it was really just lovely. That's awesome. They were, uh, when I've done these interviews, they've been huge supporters of me. And it was funny at world championships, uh, a couple of them came up to me and, and was like, oh, you're the Zoom master. Uh, including uh, Master Bernardi's wife. Uh, she was like, I'm so excited to meet you. And I got to meet uh, Master Noreen Khan in person and getting to, to, to meet some of the people and the, the masters that I got a chance to talk to, Master Carter and Master Whiskey and Master... Um, I talked to Master Butcher, but he wasn't there. And just getting a chance to, to see them live and in person was, was a, uh, an awesome experience. Well, it was wonderful watching them test. My goodness, the the skill was just phenomenal, and the spirit, and everyone so kind, and uh, it was it was really 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 great. Awesome! You got a chance. You uh, you got to go to Scotland too on that trip as well. Yeah, that was for that was for vacation. So that but that was really amazing. That's awesome. Um, yeah, definitely. I haven't made it to Europe yet, so that all of those things, the master's clinic and just England, all those places are, are definitely on my list of places that I want to go. But you must've been, you must've been having a lot of fun. How many people have you met now? As far as doing all the interviews? Mm -hmm. um, I want to say that this is my 78th interview. Wow. <laughs> That's so, amazing. Yeah. It's really cool. Like I said, I got to I don't remember offhand how many of the like the UK masters, but uh, like the Europe, I talked to Master Marco early on. I did one with Mas Master Khan, Master Don Khan, Noreen, um, Master Carter, Master Butcher, Master Silk. Um, so it's really cool. And, and obviously lots of my, our uh, US friends as well. Lots of Region 8 guys. Um, I've got to talk to both Marshes. Master Marsh, Claire Marsh, and Patrick Marsh. Um, it's been really cool. It's been a lot of uh, a lot of history, and you know, one of the things that Grandmaster Strong likes about it is sharing the history and and the the stories of the people that have been here, not just from the beginning. There there are some of those people, but the the people that have um, been a part of the history, which you obviously are as well. So I'm excited to get a chance to talk about your background and, and things that you have been a part of. Um, so let's talk about your, your path to the World Tungsudo Association and, and how you got started in the martial arts and what led you, uh, led you to Tungsudo. Oh gosh. Um, well, I was an undergrad and um, I'm not sure what led me there. I remember seeing a, a style I didn't join training outside and honestly you know it's been so long ago I can't remember how I ended up with the style I started with you know probably one of those luck things mm -hmm. um you know offered in you know the rec center 
um, I, I was started in the University of Florida in, yes, 1986 um, in, in Taekwondo. And um, it was Mudaquan Taekwondo. Uh, so um, through the Richard Chun lineage mm -hmm. and um, and then what was unique about them, they also trained Aikido simultaneously. So you had uh, parallel required paths. So you did Aikido as its separate art, but it was required, uh, required to move up in Aikido simultaneously as you were doing uh, Taekwondo. So uh, yeah, it was it was it was intense, but you know, as an undergrad, you just have so much more free time. You know, my my weekends were you know six hours of Aikido every weekend, and, and you know another 12, 15 hours of Taekwondo, and you know between teaching, we had to um, the teaching was a little bit different. By the time you got to black belt. Um, you were a certified instructor. So you were doing a lot of um, uh, assistant teaching through the GUP ranks, but certainly starting at, at what we would do as Red Belt and through Chodonbo. By Chodonbo, you were, you were teaching classes pretty much independently. So by the time you got a black belt, you were an instructor. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, those roots are really, really, really important. Uh, for me. And then when I went to graduate school, um, moving from Florida to California, uh, there wasn't, you know, Caltech is a very small school. And um, there was Shotokan there, um, very high level Shotokan. Uh, Master Oshima was teaching there, which is, he was an instructor of Funakoshi. Mm -hmm. um, but it was so different for me, you know, to, to like change my front stances and everything. And, uh, and so I ended up training Aikido for about a year. And then uh, a Tungsudo school started, uh, a club started at Caltech and myself and um, Sabin and William Glenn were the first two students of Caltech Tungsudo. And I think the rest is is history. Um, I actually trained with Tungsu for about two years before I tested in, because uh, you know just felt you know it felt weird to 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 give up or you know the the issue of loyalty like is this the right thing to do? And eventually, I got the blessing like you know you're there you're busy, you're in graduate school, you're not going to start a club at that point. And so um, I did test in after about two years. And then I started my first club as a, as a postdoc. That's uh, when up to the San Francisco, the Bay Area. And so that's when I first started a Tungsudo club. So who was your instructor, the first instructor there at Caltech? Um, you mean in it, when I was at Caltech, yeah. Um, so, so there's a kind of a variety of instructors. So the the person who started uh, the Caltech club, he was a, a JPL employee, employee and um, his name is Chris Pasqualino. And then, um, but, but they were from the Irvine. They came out of University of Irvine, and so. Um, that lineage is, is still, you know, old, old original region one. Mark Schoenberger was one of my first in, uh, first instructors, because even though I was at Caltech in Pasadena, my, um, I was stationed for part of the time at the Marine Laboratory in Corona del Mar. So I actually trained with the University of Irvine Club quite a bit uh, early, early on. And um, there was th that whole sort of San Diego, Southern California crew and uh, the Marshes and Master DePole and Master Purnell, all of them, you know, I consider sort of original, original instructors from when I was uh, in graduate school. And then when I moved to the Bay Area, um, I used to every weekend drive, drive across the bridge and train with Master DeBaca, Master Stein. Uh, so I had 
a lot of rich history. And then when I got my first job in Miami, I used to go out every six weeks or so and um, go to Georgia and, and train with Master St. James. So uh, I've had the benefit of, of having a lot, I would say, uh, Tungsudo instructors uh, just because my job kept me on the move and I always ended up somewhat isolated in some ways, which meant I had to travel and meet lots of different people and train with lots of people. That's awesome. And the, there's names that you said, you know, uh, are all amazing instructors. I, I gotten the chance. So I've gotten a chance to talk to Master Tabaka, which was amazing. Master Stein and Master Fresnel, Master Marsh. Grandmaster and, Stein, sorry. Grandmaster Stein. Yes, yes, ma'am. Um, which as yeah, he's such a I, I didn't know him personally until I did an interview with him and He's, he's such a sweet guy. He always makes a point when he sees me now to, to come up and, and say hello, um, which is awesome. But talking to them, I've got the feeling that they were pretty, like they were pretty intense when it came to their training. And I'm, I'm sure that their, their teaching wasn't that different. <laughs> so uh, it sounds like, you know, you went from your original training and, and, they were very much along those same lines of, of intense training. Am I correct to assume that? Um, it, it, was, it was really, it was just, it was really inspiring. I would, I would say the main difference from the move is um, I think people were generally, there, there was a, a lot more openness to, to families. You know, it is different coming from a college sure you know that that's a really different I mean where your your students are only those people who are in their prime um and that's all you ever see uh I, it, it is a little bit different than people who are used to working with families as their clients and stakeholders and and at first, that was a, a hard transition, but of course, you know, I've absolutely grown to cherish that that is as one of the things we do that's really special in that we manage to keep our good technical skill, but are very compassionate and open and supportive of all kinds of different people. And from our youngest participants to our oldest participants, you know, it's not not that many organizations can do that and be so inclusive with regard to age and capability and still bring out the best of every individual. And so, you know, I would I'd love I'd love to see us cater, you know, I'd love to see some of our young people go out there and start more college clubs for sure yeah that's a that's a great demographic that I think we used to have more of a of a share of the market you know it's a little bit harder now as more and more non-traditional sure. martial arts as we're competing in that marketplace for that age group um one of the things that we've done that I, I think was genius is you know starting to grow our own and and you know going back to what I saw in England you know some of the people I got to see test or homegrown, you know, we started them as tiny little tigers and dragons, and and you know, that's that's one way um, to to grow you know, absolutely phenomenal martial artists in both technique and spirit and humility and and all of that. Um, but it, it would be nice to see us if we could, you know, claim some more market share against. Uh, some of that mixed martial arts, I think, is really where you see a lot of the youth are going now. Um, but uh, the fact that we are able to do what we do and maintain that technical capability and and yet cater to families in a really supportive and nurturing way, I just I just cherish that. I think that's something that's absolutely phenomenal about our organization and we really should be so proud of that because it's not easy to do 
No, I agree. It's, it, it is not easy. And I also, I understand exactly where you're coming from, uh, from, I started when I was 20 and I started in a college town and everyone that I trained with were either late teens or like early twenties. And I just remember on, on Thursday nights, we had a sparring class and I still have very fond memories uh, of that class. Um, and just getting my, you know, my backside handed to me <laughs> on a regular basis and just coming back for more, like even as a color belt, it was, you know, so much fun. And uh, being a part, one of Master Godwin's students would have guys like Master Malbrook show up. And, you know, my original instructor was Master George Maybroda. Um, and just, yeah, so I, I, I love that. And I still try to nurture that with my, the, the guys who have, you know, we've got some great teens at our studio who are now 17, 18, 19, that are great fighters and, you know, love the spar, but are also well-rounded because they've been in the studio for so long. And it's, um, it's nice when they try to have both, right? Like they're well-rounded, but when it's time to, you know, train hard, they train hard as well. Um, and then even some of those guys, their, their mothers and fathers train as well. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I love that. We have Don Tessie next Saturday and there are three mothers that are, are, you know, like that train with their, their families that are two that are going for black belt, one that's going for Edon. Um, and two of them have kids that are testing with them as well. So it's just, I love that. And obviously my wife trains and both my kids are black belts. So I'm a, a big proponent of that part of our association. <laughs> and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. And it is, um, that's, yeah, that's such a good point. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, it, it, I, I hope we, you know, we all can, provide that to to our students right the ability to to you know take people who are coming in in 40s and 50s and maybe a little bit more hesitant and and yet still cater to our 17 to 20 somethings and let them be able to lay it down and yeah. and not worry and then also cater to our kids who you know just got out of braces and the parents really really you know, want to see that investment, uh, you know, not get, not get harmed. And I think that, you know, being able to give that individual layered experience uh, is, a, is a real challenge for an instructor or for a club. And um, especially when your livelihood's on the line and your, you know, the liability issues, but, but at the same time, we are a contact sport, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I started, you know, we, groin was open, you know, and I used to love that as a short person. That was awesome. You know, <laughs> I definitely, you know, you know, had my nose broken multiple times. And you know, luckily I was at college. My mom would have, you know, been aghast at, at the things we did. Right. Um, but it's really important to be able to take a hit, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, you know, but it's, it, it's difficult. It's, it's difficult because it's also different, you know, knocking out a 20 year old, you don't want to be knocking out a 10 year old, you know, right. and now, now that we have, um, you know, such a difference in our understanding about concussions and things like that, it's, it's a, it's a different world and it, it's tricky. It's really tricky giving people the experience they need to, to be, you know, be able to wear a black belt with confidence um, and yet maintain safety, mental, emotional, spiritual safety, physical safety. It's, it's not easy what we do. It's really not. I agree, but it's, uh, it, it's something that I take great pride in and uh, I'm sure you do as well. What, what inspired you to start your own club? you know, uh, you, I think you said shortly after you got your black belt. Oh, no, it wasn't after I got my black belt. It was certainly okay. after I got, it was shortly after I got my PhD. Your PhD, uh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you had uh, extra time available now that you're a PhD. So. <laughs> yeah, what made me start a club as a postdoc? 
I have no idea that it, looking back, it's like, well, yeah, that is kind of crazy. It, I just didn't think twice about it. It was just, you know, it was just like, uh, oh, I'm by myself. The thing to do is to start a club. Um, uh, yeah, it, it just, just seemed like, of course, that's what I do now, right? There's no one else immediately around me, so I need to start this myself. Um, I don't know. I guess get. I guess that's a really good question. I have. I don't know what makes you do things. That's like asking someone. You know, what made you decide to get a tattoo? Half the time they're like, I don't know. So it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I uh, I totally understand that. As same thing when Master Godwin asked me you know, I, I was a part-time instructor. He asked me, what's your goal? I said, I want to be a full-time instructor. And he's like, what's your time frame?" And I said, I'll put my two weeks in tomorrow. I don't have a good reason. To, and I did. And I don't, as you know, it's the, I followed my, my gut and my heart. Like that's what I wanted to do. So I, I totally understand that. Um, is, so the club that you started, is that the one what club was that? Is that the one that you are now? Is that Coastal Canyon or? Oh, no. no. Oh, okay. I've had, I've had so many clubs. Okay. <laughs> um, that one was called San Francisco Peninsula Tungsudo. Okay. Um, and, and, and then from there, you know, my postdoc, once it was done, then uh, I moved to Florida and I started a club in Miami and then I started another one and then ended up starting another one closer to our house which was in Hollywood um and then I moved back to California um I, I would say Coastal Canyon well this is the longest place I've lived okay. in, maybe ever ever I think we've been here 15 years I think that's the longest place I've lived anywhere my whole life so this would be the longest running club but uh yeah I got pretty good at starting clubs back <laughs> in the day. <laughs> um, actually, we started one here when we first got here, or I guess when I first got here, um, I started one at a Montessori school that I ended up giving to Miguel Soto and, I, yes. and that's still running. And then the rec center that we're in now, it opened. So I've been there since before that rec center was written and it's one again one of those things like why sometimes you just know I remember very clearly looking in the little local paper that this rec center was going to open and I just knew I knew I need to be there on the ground floor uh, sometimes you just know and your gut you just know um I've had that happen a few times like even like with volume six with um the you know with the resigned to being editor I can remember clear as day I remember where I was standing in the gym I remember I was, I was, you know, in the, in the gym in Huntsville, I mean, in um, uh, North Alabama, and uh, I was standing in the hallway out to the bathrooms, and I was looking across, and Grandmaster Shin was standing by the drum, and he had talked about, you know, the book and, and everything, and I just was hit with this, like a premonition or this feeling like he needs my help. And I went to him and, and he and I were in the elevator by ourselves. And I said, would you like, you know, I can help you edit if you want. And he had said, oh, well, you know, everyone's got their assignments, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I know, but when it all comes together, you know, don't you need someone to put all the different chapters together and make sure it has sort of like a similar voice, blah, blah, blah. And he had this look on his face. He said, yeah, yes. Yes, you you know you do that, and I was like, great. And then, um, you know, at the end of the clinic thing, I I was sitting in the audience, and he announces, and he's like, ah, you know, uh, you know, Kelly's going to do this editing thing, and and it'll be, you know, the book will be available this time next year. And I was like, <laughs> what, what what what? You know, I had no idea at the time timeline or anything, but, but yet, you know, it was a premonition because if, if we hadn't done that, you know, 
he he got to see the proofs you know he held the proofs he he didn't get to see the bound book but he did see the proofs and i don't think we would have gotten it done before he passed and so sometimes you like sometimes the universe just tells you just guides you wow that's amazing and i'm trying to think I, i'm sure i have the, i don't know if i have it in this office but it's not a small book um and it's got a lot of information in it and it's just i i knew you were you were part of of editing and, and working on the book but to know that you did you more or less knocked it out in a year is just mind-boggling <laughs> oh it was it was actually less than a year because by the time you know i got the photos and everybody everybody started to get their chapters to me like the first part I worked like forever on just like the first part because, because I didn't have pictures I didn't have people's copy the um, the last chapter the last form to get done was um Unsu Unsu and and Korean and that didn't get finished until master's camp um and and so literally, I didn't really start to get copy until January of, uh, and then it had to be out. It was available that by Worlds that year. And the other thing, um, you know, I love Gideon, but I will again remember where I was sitting at my computer. I'm talking to him about InDesign, um, you know, and he he'd done a lot of Adobe work with photos. And I'm going, yeah, you know, I, I'm not, an, I was never, I was not an Adobe user previously. Um, and, and neither were any of the authors, right? I mean, they could do Word, but nobody did Adobe. No one knew how to edit in PDFs or exchange those sorts of formats. So um, I'm going, well, yeah, I'm trying to do this InDesign thing. Da, da, da. I'm talking to him. And he's like, well, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. And I'm like, well, what do you mean you don't know? And, and, and then I have this realization, like, he's never used the software. And it dawns on me that, that neither one of us know what we're doing. And so we've committed to the software that neither one of us knows how to use. And if you, you know, Adobe is very powerful, but it's not, not a, a, an easy learning curve. You know I mean? You have to get pretty, you have to really invest time. And I just started laughing and I said, you know, one day this will be funny. Right now, it was not it was not funny at the time, right? Because you know, I run a school, I have a full-time job, and and I'm facing, you know, uh typesetting because really the editing has always been so joyful, but I cannot say the same thing for typesetting when you know you're learning from zero. And so really we started beginning of typesetting was like January. And I pulled more all-nighters getting that book out than I'd had and and I don't even know. I mean, I had so little sleep getting that done. It was, it was, uh, it was quite the production. It was, it was really kind of funny. It was just absolutely blind, leaving the blind. And you know, Gideon was like, "This will save the association lots of money." You know, <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna publish in house, and now we publish in house routinely. Uh, now it's, you know, it's easy for us as association to publish in house, but that, you know, to take on a brand new book whole cloth as our first you know really serious in-house publishing was um looking back on it quite amusing looking at the list that you sent me uh you were the editor on so talk me through this once the volume six was done did you go back and do the other the the like the fourth edition of volume three um volume two second edition volume one you mentioned to me earlier that there were any uh copies that were um digital before that did, right. did that was that hand in hand so what, what we've been doing as as copies went out of print um you know as the association ran out of stock okay that's what would get us to 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 do a new edition and so okay. before you know, before Gideon came on um 
and you know before volume six and then also those editions I think it was like the 2015 Gup and Don manuals um, we didn't own our own copies we hadn't typeset our own copies so we didn't have like you know digital copies of, of these works um, you know they were typeset the the old-fashioned way, like you know, if you ever heard of camera-ready copy, I mean, in the old days, you printed something, you know, you you set set it out, maybe you taped it. I mean, my PhD thesis was like that, you know, where I literally took the figures and taped them on, and taped the figure captions and photocopied. That's how old I am, you know. <laughs> you know, a camera-ready copy was you set it up and you took a picture. That's what camera-ready copy meant before you know the era of of digital publication. Um, and so, you know, there, there would have been notes and stuff like that, but, but the actual original pages that turned into a published product, we, we didn't own, we didn't have them, they didn't exist. So um, now routinely, as something has gone out of print, that's when a new edition comes out. So the latest one is, is volume three. And so, for example, you know, if you don't own an original version of that, you're too too bad. You should try to get one, right? You know those original editions. Once they're gone, they're gone, and um, and so and you know those are really valuable because they have pictures. Like I was telling people in European Masters Clinic, like those are ones that have Grandmaster Khan's photos. So if you don't own one, right. um, I'd love to see. I'd love to see like. The eBay prices on some of these original ones go up to you know, $400, $500 a copy, <laughs> you know, you know, signed edition with Grandmaster Khan's signature, you know. Um, and so, and, and even then, those original photos weren't necessarily digital photos either. So now we have digital photos, we have digital editing, which we're much better yet, you know, at, um, you know, Volume 3 in particular, Master West, who just deserves the. <laughs> to talk about an unsung hero, the amount of hours, you know, he has spent taking and, and editing photos, but um, he did all the editing one by one. Some of the early things like volume six, we learned, you know, learned a lot. Those were done in batch and, um, you know, they're a little small and the resolution, you know, wasn't wasn't as good as, as we do now you know master west in volume three edited every single photo manually so just enormous amount of work that that is behind the scenes in in, in producing in producing a book wow he's he's one of, he's a master that i have not gotten a chance to talk to and i i definitely want to get a chance to interview him and talk to him about that and obviously his long long tenured career as a martial right. artist because he's a charter charter member so yeah yeah it's funny uh interesting side note my wife was in i forget which it was it was the volume three she was part of the one step sparring and um she still has uh maggie gave her physical copies of the pictures that they took so, so she has pictures of her and 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 Stephanie Mabrook now. Stephanie Mabrook was her then, um, and and years ago she used to get uh, at World she would get recognized as the the, the lady in the one step pictures. <laughs> oh, see someone else to get signed copies. That's right. Put them on eBay. I'm telling yeah. you, I we. We maybe we could. I see. I see a a, a fundraiser. There you know, go. <laughs> somewhere, yeah. That's um, awesome. Find yeah, I... old students who you know have them on their shelves and yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I have. I was. I'm thinking. I'm like. I wonder which which uh, volumes I have. I mean, we've had them for years at this point. Uh, we have all of them, but um, I never really thought of that. Thought of it that way, but I. You know, when you a couple of years ago, Aaron track down one of Juan Key's books and you know th they're very Not few and far between and add another 30 or 40 years and Grandmaster Shin's books will be the same so it's interesting to think of that 
Yep. And, and you don't realize, you don't realize one of the reasons, you know, those old copies are so rare is because they didn't exist digitally. So uh, yeah, definitely people should be out perusing and trying to get original, original editions and get some signatures. And, 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 you know, one of the things I really value about what you're do doing um and several of the masters I work with in volume six, yeah, Master Casarano has passed, Master K has passed, Grandmaster Shen has passed. It, it, uh, you don't know at the time how precious the conversations you're having are. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and so for me, yeah, I look back at that experience even though you know, I already told you about the parts that were, you know, horrible by myself watching the sun come up yet again, you know, trying to figure out how to get like this paragraph to like indent, you know, two spaces or something like that. Um, but it was all worth it on so many levels. One, you know, one, just working with all the masters that I got to work with. And then to have that turn into, you know, precious memories for people who aren't with us anymore um and then you know getting to watch grandmaster shin and, and other people deal with variation like this is one of the things that was just fascinating about watching that process happen is that watching grandmaster shin i mean he had you know, he had very firm opinions obviously and he was really clear this is my book um and yet he still allowed people to be right in their own way uh it was it was it was really interesting to watch him navigate giving people autonomy uh and yet you know maintaining that position of leadership and management and i and i learned a lot by watching him do that um, and I think I understood better too the way he would, you know, travel regions and and maybe like in region eight, he would say, you know, this is this way. And then he would go and then nod his head and and say yes to to things that other people were doing that might not have been exactly the same in region eight, because it was, I think this is my opinion, you know, more important, there are many ways to be right. And and he understood how to, you know, when things needed to come in within, so like the standard deviation or, you know, those error bars. And when it was more important just to say, yes, that's, that's good. Good job. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, when you think of all of the people that he worked with throughout the years and the different backgrounds they had whether it was martial arts where they lived and he was able to foster this association and, and build it to where it is now whereas we're looking at 10 years later since his passing and we're we're still all here and you know some people come and go but I still think a lot of people appreciate his vision and the things that he did for them and they continue to, to pass that on to the next generation, which I, I, I think is, I think it's amazing because, uh, you know, it, it's such a big part of my life and it sounds like it, the, the, the same for you. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, and, it, well, and, you know, and, you know, for I to put in there, you know, working with Grandmaster Bodwin and, um, and, and so he was a big part of, of the new edition of volume three. And his vision is in, is in that volume. Um, there, are, there are several elements in there, things that were done in the new edition that reflected his viewpoint, his martial arts perspective. And, and you know, you just wish you knew at the time that, you you know you were talking to someone maybe for you know you know these might be you know the last 10 minutes we have together you know right. um and so th that that has been 
<laughs> worth all the work in the world is to just be able to sit with someone and, and see their perspective or their vision or their, if you're talking about someone who's has so much experience on the ground, they come to their impression and their vision or their attitude about a technique or an approach through, through experience. You know, they, they didn't read about it. They lived it. And, you know, one of the things in volume three, well, one of the things we did in volume three, which, you know, I'll claim intellectual property rights on this one, <laughs> was finally sort of separating the books from the manuals so that the manuals, you know, as far as like, this is what is required. You know, you look at the new volume three and it it, it is more generic about what is due at, at a certain level because you know, realize that the books need to really last and um, you know let the manuals be where you go to requirements and those can change as the association's needs change sure um, so you'll you'll see some differences there but one of the things that it is a, a primary difference in in this edition of volume three you know, if you look carefully, if you if you want to have a good time, a lot of Easter eggs in volume three in particular, you know, sort of looking side by side. Um, Grandmaster Bowden was a big believer that uh, two and three step uh, experience in, in your one steps, you know, being able to do it on both sides, particularly, you know, two steps that you'd be able to do left, right, and three steps sparring were we're not advanced, those should be introduced really early. And I thought that was a really interesting perspective and something to keep in mind you know, for those that are now looking at those new requirements that, that you don't need all 30 as early. Grandmaster Bowen was like, you know, well, yeah, because you're so busy perfecting them, being able to do them left and right, being able to do them in three-step, being able to do them in a dynamic way, he did not believe that that started at Black Belt. He believed that that was something that should be introduced quite early. Um, so a little, you know, insider, you know, behind the scenes there. Um, that was that was just something extraordinary to be a, be a part of and to be able to hear his opinion on that. That's awesome. It makes me want to, I'm going to have to buy a, a new, uh, a new edition of the, the third manual, uh, or at least get one for the dojang and, and, and check that out. I, I can't, I encourage anyone, if you don't have copies of the, the, the books to, to get them, they're just a source of endless knowledge. Um, I don't know if I've read through every single one of them, you know, from front to back, but I have consulted met much of the information in it many times. Um, one of the inspirations of doing these interviews was, so January of 2020, uh, unfortunately, Grandmaster Bowen passed away and we went up for his um, funeral and then everything, had, the world shut down in March. And it was one of, it was that reason, like wanting to talk to people before they're gone to have those, what you talked about, to have those moments and have those, uh, the chances to talk to people. I'm sure, you, like you said, you had a great time at the European Masters Clinic, but there were probably very few times where you were able to sit down and talk to someone for an extended period of time. And that's where the, these conversations can't happen there. So it's, it's awesome. They've happened much less this year, but I've, I'm still, you know, I've, I've been talking with Grandmaster Strong about continuing to, to do these because there's still some people whose voices need to be heard and documented. Um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to hear that part of the book, right? Because it's not, maybe not, definitely not something that I thought about um but to hear you talk about it that's it's it's really awesome and, and obviously special to you and thank you for sharing that yeah i hope you can get um some of the perspectives of of like like south america and um 
Africa as well. You know, I know, I know, you know, South America, you might need a translator, but, you know, there's some, in, you know, there's some deep, yeah. deep, rich history there as well. And um, I'm, re I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in, in hearing about people who, you know, chose the, our art, you know, in places that are flung across the world and hearing about that. And um, I'm so interested, you, you just wish you could know what you should have asked. Right. I mean, so many things. I wish, I'm sure, you know, lots of people, including Grandmaster Strong, wish I'd asked Grandmaster Shin this, like, right. how many times did I sit across the room and never asked? And I, you know, I remember there was this one time at master's camp and this came up and, and it just goes to show like how difficult it is not only to do this with our masters, but our, our family and your parents. And you're just like, well, why should I ask them? But it's, it's hard to know, mm -hmm. but we were having this conversation about t-shirt color. Right. And there was this thing about, can you wear, like, should it just be white? Should it, if you're a brown belt, you can wear a brown t-shirt, blah, blah, blah. And Grandmaster Shen, he was, a, he was a little miffed and he was like, you could ask me, sort of like, I'm sitting right here. You know, you guys are having this whole discussion. And, and he said, back in the day, we just wore a t-shirt. Like, it, and, and it was sort of like, of course, because it wasn't like we had so many options, you know, it, you know, first world problem, what color right. shirt should I wear? <laughs> was sort of the, you know, sort of his attitude to it. Like, you know, didn't come up. You wore what shirt you had, you know, <laughs> you had a t-shirt and you wore it underneath. <laughs> right. So, uh, and, and, but, you know, these are, these are the sorts of things like, and I have so many questions, you know, you don't ever know to ask, but like, we have like little variations in belt tying. Have you ever noticed? Like, uh, yes. It, it, and it's like, who do we ask? Ding, dang it. Why didn't I ask Grandmaster Shin? Why didn't <laughs> I ask Grandmaster Bodwin at the time? You know, like, so, I mean, I guess you and I need to make a list. Okay. Yeah. I, I do have a list. I can, uh, I've, like I said, I've talked with Grandmaster Strong and he has a list of, of people that he wants me to talk to guys like, uh, Master Lorenzo, um, Master Valdez down in Mexico, uh, guys like you guys along those lines. I got to talk, I talked to Master Ramirez, which was amazing hearing his story. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of people still, that's why it's, it's a, it's a work in progress. <laughs> You're going to have an amazing book one day. Oh, man. It's, yeah, because I know how I can edit it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, yeah, lose my number. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I've been finding new new people. You know, the Qigong book was not edited by me. And so I'm finding more and more people. Turns out the association is rich with uh, talent. So <laughs> I, I, I'm, re I'm ready to uh, spread the pain. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so kind of going back to your, to Coastal Canyon and uh, we haven't talked about your, your husband uh, at all yet. Um, you, you said that he got, he predates uh, your Tung Sudo training. How, when did he get started? And you said he's now the, the, um, Chief instructor. Instructor. Chief instructor yeah, yeah. Of um, well, he, so he actually, so when we met, you know, I was a new, new black belt and he was interested in training martial arts. And I just, I wasn't mature enough then. And I'm hardly, barely mature enough now <laughs> to share uh, <laughs> my martial arts training. Uh but especially as a new black belt and in a relatively new relationship. So he actually uh, trained with Master Oshman, has got a, a black belt um, under him in Shotokan. And so um, that makes him second generation Funakoshi, which is just, you know, amazing. I think I think mm -hmm. it's really, you know, yeah, it's, it goes back to what you and I talked about, like, how do you explain your passion for something? It took me a long time to be able to recommend 
martial arts to other people because I thought, how can you explain something that's so personal? Like, I can't even tell you what drives me to do this, but it it's like in your blood. And how can you expect that someone else that you meet randomly would have would have that passion? You know, could I think about like how Master Godwin used to teach you to do like do the pitch, you know? You meet right. somebody, you shake their hand. And I was like, how how can you do that? How can you explain something that's so intangible or like that you feel so passionately about and and how can you expect that some other individual will have that that same experience um and and i think it i think it's difficult it, you know when you're on the floor training hard with people it's very intimate and like the relationship i have with my early instructors with the caltech crew you are laid bare they they know they know your limits they 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 know your highs they know your lows i mean it's such an intimate raw experience and i think that's why you end up being lifelong friends with the people that you really trained with um and so it's 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 a challenge doing that i think with your family as well i mean i really you know, kudos to you to have you know your whole family in Tungsido, but it it's it's really it's an intimate, passionate, intense experience, and I think I needed um, a lot more maturity, and I also thought it was so important for him to have that journey independently of me, and I'm I'm really glad we did it that way. Um, of course, it cost cost some tons of time and seniority within within Tungsido. Right? Right. And, um, uh, and and the only reason we came together is um, when we started a family. It just became untenable to have you know we're both in the sciences. You know, two STEM positions, two you know me running my own my club and my training, and then his having separate training, and then a baby. Like it just. No. <laughs> and then and so then he, you know, and so then he was a red belt for four years. <laughs> wow. Um uh because we had a you know a new baby. So uh but now um now I can't imagine it otherwise, right? Um but we came there, you know, independently, you know. He's 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 got his own tungsudo identity. He's got his own martial arts identity, and I think that's that's really important. I think, but um, I mean, I I guess I need that. I don't know. I know people have come to it different ways, but no, I I I, I agree. Uh, so Erin started. She was a second degree. We started the same studio, but when I started, she was off. She trained it at world headquarters at Shin Karate when she was in medical school. And when we first started dating, I had just, I was a black belt. She was a second degree. And we definitely came into it on our own. And then it just kind of worked once we started dating. Um, we still have our own lanes that we're in as far as martial arts goes. We, we share similarities, but um, you know, I think like we complement each other really well if we work, if we teach together. Um, so yeah, I, it would be, it would be hard to, well, it'd be hard to clone either of us, but it'd be hard to try to be like, Hey, I'm going to do this too. Just like you do. I was like, no, it doesn't work that way. So it's interesting that he, it's nice to have that, that base, have something different. Right, because then you can both come at come at the same issue different ways, and you know come to the same conclusion just from different paths. So I, I think it's awesome that you have that and you're able to do that. And you can tell me it's not not that long ago he finally received his master his master's rank, right? It's a couple of years ago. Yes. Yeah. He right. He's a uh, uh, started pre COVID, but then. I guess, you know, received, you know, did his second, second 
forced on master's tests during COVID. So that's in that in that phase. Right. Luckily didn't have to do both years during COVID. I feel bad for people whose whole whole experience was during COVID. So yeah, that's um, tough. Um so but I'm I'm curious, you know, you also have the perspective of having your kids and how do you think that works in 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 their developing their martial arts identity? It's interesting because, you know, being an instructor for years, there, there are some instructors that can have their kids in class and then others, it's like, here's my kids, you teach them. Um, and my kids are different. So one's 13, one's 11. And they just recently after the, after years of just doing martial arts are starting to branch out. One's really into softball, one's into dance my 13 year old this summer has really kind of taken a um she loves to come and help assist you know be an assistant instructor and it and and then she's like well I also want to get really I want to get better at sparring and I have my opinions in both <laughs> but it, it it's interesting to try to not be like, well, you need to do it this way. And it's like, well, here's some ideas. Here's some ideas how to do it. Here's how your mom does it. Here's how Master Kaluzny does it. Um, luckily, uh, like I'm one of the instructors. So I'm part of Evolution Credit Academy. Master Kaluzny owns it. So fortunately for her, she has other role models to look up to. Um, Master Erwin Waters has been with us uh, lately too who's another amazing instructor. So luckily I'm not the one that has to wholly point her in that direction, which is nice, right? Because she, like, just like we talked about with partners, um, she has to come up with her own identity as well as my, my youngest, uh, the same. And they're, they're both very different and they ebb and flow just like any, anyone does as far as martial arts goes. Um, it's so interesting to me because I started when I was an adult they've started when they were four years old and uh I got a chance to watch some evaluation for Saddam and, and one of the people was um Lauren Peterman who obviously her both of her parents are uh masters and I'm sure she started at that age and it, it's just it's so fascinating to me to see someone who literally just grew up in the martial arts um, it's, it's, it's different. <laughs> it's really different. Cause like you said before, you mentioned that how, how can you possibly expect someone else to understand your, your love and passion for the martial arts? Most people can't, they just can't do it. <laughs> um, and, and a long time ago, I used to take it really hard when people quit martial arts. But then I realized like, it's just not, everyone has a different level of dedication. And, you know, sometimes it's just a season for someone. And it's hard for me to understand that because <laughs> it's my life. So I, I don't know if I answered your question, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. I try to, to not make her my parent, my daughter in class, but that's really hard too. <laughs> It is hard, and and thinking about you know, you know, if one of them did, would want to quit, like what a challenge that would be, right? Like that that would be, and I think um, you know, talk about like the phases. I get you. Like it used to be so hard for me. There, if there's someone left the association, it was just like, well, you're dead to me, kind of thing. Right. And I think I've matured past that, and 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 you know, having somebody else not share my passion you know getting put words like that doesn't threaten my passion or doesn't right. threaten my commitment like it's it's okay you know it's it yep. that's a it's it's okay that you could feel really passionate about something and then you know, move on but it it is kind of hard because I think you know like I've never been divorced. I can't imagine being divorced. You're probably the same way. Like it, it's sort of like the same thing. It's like, how can you love something and then not love it anymore? You know, it's right. like, and then, and then, you know, over time it's like, oh, okay. You know, just cause I, you know, I, I can get that now. I start to see. Yeah. And, um, 
And I think um, one of the things in this phase of my life that I'm really beginning to value is that um, my martial arts friendships aren't just martial arts friendships. Like those, those friendships can um, permeate wider in mm. that, you know, if I were to have a friend that were to decide to stop training, they could still, you know, they're still my friend. And, yeah. and, and I think that's something I'm valuing with my age. I think the young me, like they were, people were in boxes, you know, if you had your science people and you had your martial arts people. And if they fell out of one box and they just fell out of that box. And um, I think going back to, you know, valuing and realizing that time is short and experiences are, are sweet. It, you know, there's no point in having the boxes. If there's somebody you jive with, then, you know, you keep, you just keep them in your life mm -hmm. as you can, why you can. Um, you know, they, they still get you, even if they've moved on to do something yeah. else, they're still them. You're still you. And you guys, mm -hmm. you know, you can still have a relationship that goes beyond um oh you're not going to regionals this year you're not going to worlds you know yeah no that's okay people can we we can still we can still jive on other things absolutely yeah some of our best two of our best friends um they got married through they met through karate and uh, they, they they probably stopped about 10 years ago but they're still some of our best friends and uh yeah that's awesome I say to my kids, it's like, you you know, at this point, if you want to pursue other things and not do martial arts, you can, but just remember, you have to come to everything still. <laughs> you still are going to be there. So, <laughs> you know, you can, you're, you can have fun. Obviously that, that we have so many friends at this point when it comes to regionals, you talked about like inside and outside of the martial arts. Like we just got back yesterday. Um, from New York City, we went with uh, the Setiantos, Jeff and Anna Setianto are great friends and, and our kids are the exact same age. And so they're growing up together and it's just, it's awesome um, to see how, how well they get along and, and, you know, they can train together and it, it's cool. I, I love this association, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I'm okay if people aren't in it anymore that's fine too um so we are i feel like we keep talking for uh, hours but i i'm sure you you have to start packing soon um <laughs> is is there anything you would like to talk about that we haven't touched base on um be before we wrap up I, I know we 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 covered we talked about grandmaster shin we talked about the books um Anything in particular that you wanted to, to talk about before we finish? I can't think of anything. I've really enjoyed this time and talked to you and getting to know you better. It's really, really fun. You know, uh, thank you for doing this. Uh, I guess the only thing um, I would add is, um, you know, I'd love to, I wonder how we could have this experience not not just with masters you know one of the things that i think a lot about is how to make the association more and more accessible for our gov students and uh and, and our younger black belts and really put the attention on them and mm -hmm. um love to be able to do some spotlights i mean i just think we have so many amazing people you know Maybe someone should, maybe not you, but maybe someone should take up the quest of like interviewing all the families of the year or all that sort of thing. Like, you know, I bet there's just so many amazing people in this association and um, would love to, you know, the bigger we get, you know, the harder it is, I think, to reach all the different people. And um, I, I'm hoping, you know, these interviews, I'm sure, well, I hope got students, you know, look at them and uh, maybe as a way to to reach them. And I guess that's the main thing is, you know, let them know we're thinking about them, too. You know, right. it's not all about us and the history and stuff like that. I mean, we're trying to preserve history and preserve legacy. Um, but, you know, when we're talking about like these 
tiny tigers and dragons that are turning into masters. I, I really think that the next generation of World Tungsido, this next era is going to be better than, um, than, than the current one and, and maybe the best yet. I, I, I think we may be entering just this new phase of superior, well-rounded martial arts exploration. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope so too, but they're, we're not going to make it easy on them to make, to be better than us. <laughs> we're going to make, I'm I, at least personally, I'm going to make it work and at work. And I know you, you are, because I've had the chance to train with you uh, or at least in, in class with you at master's clinic. And I did the Unsu class with you and, and grandmaster Stein. And um, I, I personally know that you work as hard as, as, as anyone, if not more than most. So. Well, thank you for that. We're not going to make it hard. Enjoy, we're not I do make enjoy it hard work. <laughs> Um, well, thank you again for, for joining me, and uh, I, I look forward to uh, seeing you in person uh, sooner than later. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you.